Let's spend some time in prayer. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you have created all things. As we see the stars in the sky, we, we praise you as our creator. As, as we look at all the beautiful creatures that you have made, and, and, and we as people made in your image, we have come to worship you and to praise you and to thank you for being our creator. And not only are you our creator, but when we had gone astray, you pursued us and saved us. So we're here to give you thanks. Thank you for being not only our creator, but our savior. We come because we recognize our need of you. Apart from you, we can do nothing, and we all need you. And you know our needs, and we pray that as we open up your word together today, that you would teach us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, now, we're doing this for the whole series, so every week I hope one of you is going to help me out. I need someone to come up. Will someone come up and help me out? Come on. You got your hand up? Come on up. There we go. Come on. There we go. Thank you for not leaving me hanging. Come on up. This is going to be easy. So here we go. Put it up close to your mouth. So what's your name? Ethan. Ethan. Okay, Ethan, if you could go anywhere in the world on a vacation, where would you like to go? Heaven. Heaven. Ah, that's really good, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> and why would you like to go there? Because there's no pain and everything is great in heaven. Wow. That is, hey, could, could you like give me five here? That is just, wow, way better than I had imagined. Uh, so the next question is maybe a little bit harder, but we're doing a little research at church. And, and do, you, do you think it matters whether someone believes in creation or evolution? Okay, and why do you think that would matter? Because um, evolution didn't really happen, only creation did, because creation has proof and it didn't come from non-life. Whoa, okay. <laughs> wow, thank you. Thank you so much. Give me five again. You are the best interview ever. Wow, thank you. Wow, a lot, a lot of you could learn, okay, from, from Ethan here, right? Maybe I could just go home. He's got it, man. <laughs> oh, man, that was good. Now, if I'd ask you, uh, do, do you believe, do you think it matters whether someone believes in creation or evolution, what would you say? And, and if I ask you why, what would you say? Now, if you ask me, Smiley, do you think it matters whether someone believes in creation or evolution? I'd say yes. And if you ask why, I would say because the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. That's why. Matter of fact, that's the point of the message today. What we're going to look at is that the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. Um, now, if you're here new today, we're in a series called uh, One Story. The, the Bible is a story. It's one story from beginning to end. It's just one big story, but it has four chapters. And, and what the goal of this, the goal of this series, there's two goals. The first goal is that you would know and be able to confidently share the one story of the Bible. 
If you're brand new at this, man, the goal for you, welcome, is that you would know the story over the Bible over the next few weeks. And if you're, if you're a Christian, you've been here a while, my goal is not only that you would know, but you'd be able to confidently uh, share the one story of the Bible. And so the Bible begins by asking the question, where did everything come from? And so chapter one of the story of the Bible is creation. And we've spent three weeks here because it's so important. The first week, we opened up the Bible and answered the question, uh, you know, where did everything come from? And we learned that God created everything from nothing, and it was very good. And then the second week, we came back, and we looked at why we should believe that. And we learned last week, I'm sure you all remember, right, that I believe in creation because Jesus did. And the Bible teaches it, and it fits the world I live in. And today... We're coming back for a third week and just look, answering the question, does it matter? Does it matter? And, and we're going to learn it does matter that, that the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. Now, starting next week, we're going to move into chapter 2, and we're going to answer the question, what's wrong with the world? And so we're going to look at the fall and spend two weeks looking how sin wrecked everything. And, and then we're going to ask the question, well, how do we fix it? And we'll spend two weeks looking at redemption. And then lastly, we'll ask, where is history headed? Where is everything headed? And, and we'll spend two weeks looking at consummation. So the first goal I want for you, why it's so important to be here, is so that you can know and be equipped to confidently share the one story of the Bible. But the second goal is that you would develop the skill, that you would develop the skill of asking questions to start gospel conversations. In my time with Jesus this week, as I was reading through the Gospels, I've been counting how many times Jesus asked questions. Questions are so good, they get people to think. And so over this series, I want to teach you a skill. I want to equip you with a skill of learning how to ask questions and to listen. So that's what we've been doing. So um, recently I asked a man, what's the most important verse in the Bible? I said, what do you think is the most important verse in the Bible? And he said, John 3, 16. Now, I have to tell you, I couldn't really argue with him there. huh? So, so if you don't know what John 3, 16 is, John 3, 16, it, it's a great verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I said, I think that's the most precious verse in the Bible. But I still believe the first verse is the most important. I believe the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. And some of you say, well, what is the first verse in the Bible? Oh, here it is. In the beginning, God. Oh, man. Aren't you glad it says that? That it doesn't say in the beginning, nothing? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Why is that so important? If you stumble over the first verse... If you stumble over creation, then you're going to stumble over the miracles. Uh, I just don't believe that Moses could part the Red Sea. And, and you'll stumble. You'll stumble over Jesus walking on the water. How could that happen? And you'll stumble over morality. Who is this God to tell me how to live? But if we believe the first verse in the Bible that God spoke and everything that is came into being out of nothing, parting the Red Sea just isn't a big deal, is it? Not after creation, Jesus walking on the water. It's not such a big deal, is it? I mean, he, he created everything. 
And morality? Morality makes sense, doesn't it? And if there's a creator, don't you think he would give us an owner's manual, just like you get with your car, don't you? That would explain to us how life is meant to be lived? Oh, the first verse sets the foundation for everything else that happens in the book. And that's why what I want to show you today is the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. Okay, now let's turn to the passage for today. The passage for today is in Romans chapter 1. All of that was to set this up. Now, in, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome, starting in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Now, the response of a holy God to sin is one of wrath, and what what arouses God's wrath is that men suppress the truth. Did you see that? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, which then we ask the question, well, what is the truth that men suppress? What is the truth that people push down? It is the truth that there is a God who is our creator that we are accountable to. And, and so we say, well, how do people know God? Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. There is general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is that God has revealed himself to all men in our conscience and in creation. And special revelation is God has revealed himself even more clearly in his word and in Jesus but it says that God made himself known within us. For that which is known about God is evident within them, that God has written on our hearts right from wrong. That's our conscience. Let me illustrate. Some of you are parents. You give one of your sweet little kids three scoops of ice cream. You give your other little kid one scoop of ice cream. What is the question that you're going to hear? What? That's not fair, right? Where did that come from? Why would a child think that's not fair? Because God has written on our hearts right from wrong. We're going to see that same thing with conscience when we get to verse 32. And although they know the ordinance of God, God has written right and wrong on our hearts. Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who um, practice them. So uh, it's not just kids, it's adults too. Someone gets arrested, you're watching it on TV, and they're going from the car into the jail. What do they do? They, they cover their face, right? They cover their, why do they cover their face? Because 
God has written on our hearts right from wrong, and they know what they have done is wrong. And so that's why they're filled with guilt and with shame. So first, God has revealed himself within us. That's in our conscience. And then God has revealed himself around us in creation. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. You go outside at night and you see the stars in the sky. You know there's a God. You, you see a peacock and you see their feathers and you look at that and, and you know, you know someone designed that. You look at a zebra and you see the stripes. You know someone designed the creature. You hold a baby in your arms. You know God's revealed himself in creation. You look at your hand. How fascinating the things that the hand can do. And you know. So our problem is that we suppress the truth. It's not that we don't know God, we suppress the truth. And you say, why do we suppress the truth? Because we have an authority problem. We have an authority problem. We don't like God. And we don't like the authorities that God has placed in our lives either, whether they're parents or coaches or teachers or pastors or police, right? We all have an authority problem. You know why? Because we all want to be God ourselves. Um, you see, sin is not about ignorance. It's about rebellion. Listen, man's problem with God is moral, not intellectual. Man's problem with God is moral. Don't tell me how to live, not intellectual. So our problem is that we suppress the truth. For even though they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Um, the Bible does define a fool, don't you know? Anybody knows what it is? Very good, thank you. The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. So, so notice what he says, professing to be wise in the name of learning and education, professing to be wise, they became fools. There is no God and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So professing to be wise, men exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They exchanged the truth of a creator who made us in his image for a lie that, that we've come from animals and we've come from nothing. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, uh, so their bodies would be dishonored among them. We're going to see three times it says God gave them over. <clears throat> now listen very carefully. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. So that people exchanged the truth of a God who made us in his image. And we exchanged the truth of God for a lie 
a, a lie that says, listen, that everything can be explained without God. There was no God who created the lie is evolution, that everything can be explained without God. And, and I know some of you say, well, well, well Smiley, if, if that's true, well, then why do so many scientists believe in evolution? Uh, well, first of all, they believe because they want to. And secondly, because of pressure to. It's so important you understand almost all of the early scientists were Christians. They were Christians, and they, like Isaac Newton or Joseph Lister or Blase Pascal, they were Christians, and they believed that God had revealed himself in two books. The two books were creation and the Bible, and that we could learn about God in the book of creation or the book of the Bible. One of the verses that inspired modern science was Psalm 11, 111, verse 2. Look at this verse. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. The early scientists believed that as we studied the book of creation, we would know our God better. But somewhere along the line, uh, science has been hijacked by what is naturalistic science. Do you know what that means, naturalistic science? Naturalistic science says everything can be explained without God. Naturalistic science refuses to consider even the possibility of God so that everything must be explained without God. Why do many scientists believe in, in, um, in evolution? Because they want to because then they can sleep with whoever they want to, just like other people reject God for the same reason. It's important to realize that sinners are scar or scientists are scarred by sin too. It's important to realize our problem's not what we, that we don't know the truth, is that we suppress the truth. And I'll give you another reason why many scientists believe in evolution. There's tremendous pressure to do so. There's tremendous academic pressure to do so let me illustrate that for you. When Jesus was here on earth, in John 12, verse 42, listen to this. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, many of the rulers of the Jews, nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. You hear that? They believed, but they were afraid to speak up. Why? Because if they spoke up, they'd be put out of the synagogue. They would be expelled. They would be nobodies. There was pressure to conform, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Um, if you're a college professor, there's tremendous pressure to say you believe in evolution. Uh, my sister-in-law's brother is a biology professor and he's a creationist. And you would not believe how difficult it is for someone who's a biology professor who believes in creation to get a job on a college, even in Christian colleges. So I would encourage you, if you're interested in this, I, I, want, I have two extra, extra credit studies for you. One is a movie. I watched this a couple of weeks ago. It's called Expelled by Ben Stein, No Intelligence Allowed. 
I watched it on YouTube. It's, it's worth watching. It's an hour and a half. Watch it. And what you'll see is if a professor on a college campus even brings up intelligent design, I'm not talking about even creation, but if they just bring up intelligent design, they get expelled. It's really, really, please, worth watching. The other extra study thing I would ask you to do is just to go online and Google the emperor's new clothes. It's just a short kid story by Hans Christian Andersen, but if you read it, you'll understand the pressure, the pressure on professors. In the story, it's so great, there's a king and there's some charlatans. The charlatans, they come to him and say, hey, we can make you really expensive clothes, but only intelligent people can see them. And, well, the king wanted to be intelligent, so he starts paying the money and they're sitting there just ripping him off, doing nothing. And, and then finally they give them to him and, and the king puts them on because intelligent people can see them. So he says, I see them. And everybody else in the country, they also have heard, they've heard that intelligent people can, can see them. So nobody's going to say he doesn't have clothes because to say that is to say what? You're not intelligent. <laughs> so finally there's a little kid. And the little kid says, Mommy, the king has no clothes. Um, what do we hear on the university? Every intelligent person believes in evolution. <laughs> I'm not very intelligent. I don't. We fear the sneer. It's okay. It's okay to be sneered at. Listen, the first verse in the Bible is the most important verse in the Bible. It is. Now, when people, when people exchange the lie, the truth of God for a lie, things happen. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, which is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them over. Now, what happens when people, what happens when a culture exchanges the lie, the truth for a lie, what happens? For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and, and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, one of the things happens when people reject a creator is the growing acceptance and practice of homosexuality. Uh, do we see that? Now, now think about that. If the truth is there's a creator who made us male and female, who established marriage, who said that a man and woman come together in marriage and have sex to fill the world with people made in the image of God, and you exchange that for a lie, that there is no creator, there is no design, then things start coming apart, don't they? And, and one of those is the practice of homosexuality. It's not the only one. It goes on. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over, third time, to a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. See that? Haters of God. 
I became a Christian in the 70s when dinosaurs roamed on the planet. And in the 70s, it was celebrated. In this community, it was celebrated that I believed in Jesus. In the 80s and 90s, it was tolerated. Now, there's a militant atheism where I'm the most dangerous person in the community. Isn't that what it says here, that people will be haters of God? Um, Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same thing, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Isn't that what people do? We do something wrong. What do we want to do? We want to get what? Other people to do the same thing. Why? Because deep down we, we know it's wrong. So when, when the truth of a creator is exchanged for a lie that everything can be explained without God, then, then people's lives begin to come undone and families begin to come undone and society begins to come undone. That's why the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. It's so important you understand that ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. They have victims. Um, uh, let me illustrate that for you a little bit. Um, have you ever wondered? Have, have you ever wondered uh, how Christian colleges became secular colleges? Have you? You ever wondered how Harvard, Yale, Princeton, William and Mary, our oldest daughter went to William and Mary, oldest building there, the Wren Building. The purpose of the school is to evangelize the Indians and to train gospel ministers. What happened? What happened to all these schools that once trained gospel ministers that now don't? So a man did some study and, and he found three commonalities. The three commonalities were number one, money. That's always there, isn't it? That people gave money to Christian schools but didn't want it used to advance the gospel, just learning. Number two was the president, not of the country, of the college, that when the president abandoned the faith, he pulled the university with him. But the, the, the most significant thing was when Darwinism began to be taught on Christian colleges. Christians think of evolution as something taught in biology. It is a worldview that starts in the biology department and spreads throughout the whole school that says that everything can be explained without God. That's how schools move. They move from being Christian to being secular. Um, now, here's another question. You ever wonder why so many of our children are raised in the church and they go to college and they leave their faith? Because the worldview of our universities is one of evolution, that everything can be explained without God. And that evolution deals with science, with facts, and, uh, and, and with truth. And, and faith deals with feelings and, and, and with superstitions. That's why the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's not a feeling or a superstition. It's a fact. It's what happened. So, 
we looked at what happens. We, we looked at what happens when people exchange the, the truth of God for a lie, how people and families and society begin to unravel. What happens? What happens when people replace the lie with the truth? What happens when people exchange the truth of God for a lie? Then Jesus begins to put people back together again, and families back together again, and society back together again. And listen, exchanging the truth for the lie is what the Bible calls repentance, isn't it? It's repentance, which is a change in our thinking that then begins to change everything. And repentance, the good news we love to call uh, ABC, admit, believe, commit. So let me share with you how we can exchange the truth for a lie. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It all begins when we admit and believe and commit to Jesus as the way. Have you? You see, to commit to Jesus as the way, we need to understand the bad news. The bad news, we all have a sin problem. We all have an authority problem. Every one of us has suppressed the truth. Every one of us has said, God, don't tell us how to live. We'll do life our way. And so we have rebelled against God over and over again, and we deserve God's wrath. But here's the good news. Jesus came into the world to seek and save sinners. <laughs> that Jesus is unique. He's God the Son who put on flesh, and, and he came to earth, and and he lived a perfect life for us. He lived in perfect obedience to the Father for us. And then he went to the cross. And he experienced the wrath that our sins deserve. He experienced what we deserve. He took our sins. He experienced God's wrath for us. He died in our place. And then he rose on the third day. And he offers us the way back to God the way to be forgiven, the way to have life, life that's abundant and life that's eternal in our part. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Our part is to believe in Jesus. And that begins when we admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And if you've never done that, won't you? And then we believe, Jesus, I believe you're the way. You're the way that you died and rose for my sins. And then we commit to Jesus. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me. And if you will, he will. But notice what Jesus said. It starts with the way, but it doesn't end there. If we really want to exchange the truth for a lie, it starts when we choose Jesus as the way, but then it moves on, doesn't it? Because Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth. We need to admit and believe and commit, Jesus, I believe you're not only the way, you're the truth. And so we learn to come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, where did everything come from? And Jesus says, chapter one, God created everything. And then we ask Jesus, well, how did everything get so broken? He says, chapter two, man, sin, that wrecked everything. And then we ask Jesus, how do we fix it? And Jesus says, chapter 3, only I can fix it. And then we ask the question, where's everything headed? Jesus says, chapter 4, he's coming back. So, so notice, to exchange the truth for a lie, it starts with the way. And then the truth. And then the life. Oh, dear people, 
Jesus isn't just the way. He's not just the truth. He's the life. He offers us life, real life, abundant and eternal, not floating around in some purposeless universe, coming from nothing and added to nothing. No, doing life and eternity with Jesus. We admit, Lord, I've been trying to do life without you. I believe you are life. I want to do life with you. Oh, right here, we have a written record of how Jesus lived. We can pick up the Bible and we can spend time with Jesus and see the way life was meant to be lived. And that changes everything, doesn't it? Oh, that we would exchange the truth for a lie and choose Jesus as the way to God and the truth and the life. So, there it is. What we've learned today a lot is a lot. We've learned that the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. It really, really is. So now, the skill I want you to develop, the skill I want you to, to develop is I want you to learn to ask questions, okay? And the question I want you to ask people this week is exactly what I showed you on the stage. I just want you to ask someone. Do you think it matters whether someone believes in creation or evolution? Just ask. I've showed you how you say, who? Why not do it at lunch today? Why not do it when you go to work tomorrow? Now, I, some of you are starting to tell me your stories. Thank you. We're going to be here for nine weeks. I hope you learn. Listen, ask someone. Ask them. Well, what if they give the wrong answer? There's not a wrong answer. You're just asking them what they think. The question gets people to think. Do you think it matters whether someone believes in evolution or creation? And then just ask them why. I asked so many people this back past week. It was great conversations. You can do it. You can do it. You're not there to argue. You just want to listen. But if they happen to ask you back, if they happen to ask you back, do you believe uh, do you think it matters whether someone believes in creation or evolution? Be ready and say, yes. And if they ask you why, then tell them what I've taught you, right? That the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. And then if they say, well, if that's true, if that's true and, and God's created everything, then why is the world such a mess? Why is there so much pain and suffering? And say to them, that's a great question. Why don't you come with me to church on Sunday? That's exactly what we're going to look at next week. Next week, we're going to look at the fall. Come with us. And listen, we can go out and have lunch and talk about it after. Next week, we're going to see how our first parents sinned and how that wrecked everything. Why not bring some with you? But we've learned enough for one day, haven't we? Because what we learned today is what? That the most important verse in the Bible is the first one. I believe that. Do you? And then, listen, we've got our action step for this week, don't we? Our action step this week is, listen, to go and ask people, do you think, do you think it matters whether someone believes in creation or evolution and why? I'm going to do it. Will you? Let's do this together. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you came into this world 
to provide the way to God. You are the way, and you are the truth, and you are the life. Listen, if you're here today and and you've never chosen Jesus as the way to God and you'd like to, won't you admit to him? Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and and I'm sorry? And won't you believe, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose? And won't you commit to him? Jesus, I want you to come in and and be my Savior and, and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be, won't you? And if you have, won't you mark that on your card or tell someone it'll make Jesus more real to you? Jesus, I pray for those of us who've chosen you as the way, that that we would choose you today again as the truth and the life, that you would give us confidence that the first verse in the Bible is true, and so is everything that follows. And Lord, I pray as we go out this week that we would all ask questions and have amazing conversations, for we're seeking to follow after you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.